a pastor's home. It's all I've ever known. I was two to three years old when my dad started pastoring his first church. He was in seminary in a little church in a place called Chinkapin, North Carolina, called him to be their pastor. And then several years later, our family moved to Sand Ridge, South Carolina, outside of Holly Hill, another big city, and my dad pastored there. And then we moved to Hartsville when I was about, about eight years old, and my dad pastored the same church for over 32 years. It's all I've ever known. I grew up in a pastor's home. I saw my dad as, as he would sit with families for hours as they were waiting for, for their loved one to come out of surgery. I, I watched my dad as he mourned with people the loss of someone they loved. I heard my dad preach sermon after sermon straight from God's Word as he would systematically go through books of the Bible teaching the flock what, what God's Word was saying. And it was during one of those sermons at a very young age that I was convicted of my sin. And I humbled myself before God. I repented and I placed my faith in Jesus. And, and Jesus changed my life. I'm here to testify that the Holy Spirit of God literally can come into your life and make you a brand new person. And it was in one of those church services as my dad was preaching, still at a very early age, that God called me to be a pastor. Now, some of you probably are questioning whether God can call someone at an early age, but let me remind you of Samuel. And how young he was when he heard the voice of God and God's call upon his life. And let me remind you what the Bible says about Jeremiah. It says, before I formed you in my mother's womb, I knew you and I called you to be a prophet to the nations. And so God can call someone at any age of life. That's why I'm convinced that there are some of you, both young and old, who have been called by God, you just haven't answered that call yet. And that's where I was. I didn't respond to God's call initially. You see, as I got older, I actually wanted to do anything, anything other than be a pastor. Because growing up in a pastor's home, I not only got to see the good, I got to see the bad. I saw people who would get bad, mad at my dad for things he would preach or ways that he would lead, and they would leave the church. I heard things that were said about my dad, hurtful things, untrue things. I remember as a young boy coming home one night on a Sunday night to find out that our house had been shot into. I knew what it was to enjoy the good, and I knew what it was to enjoy the bad of being a pastor. So I decided I was going to do something else, anything else. And so I ran from God. But can I tell you, you will never find peace, real peace, lasting peace in your life until you respond to what God wants you to do. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're in a series on 1 Peter that we have, we have entitled Aliens, How to Survive in a Hostile World. Twice in this letter, Peter calls us aliens, strangers, 
He tells us that this world is not our home. And because of that, this world is hostile to who we are as followers of Jesus. And it is hostile to how we live our life. And so as Peter writes this letter to these these believers who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, he is writing to them some truths that will help them to survive in this hostile world that is opposed to who they are. The first thing we learned is that if we're going to survive, we've got to remember who we are. And Peter told us that, that we are chosen by God, we are born into his family through the blood of Jesus, and because of that, we have a priceless inheritance awaiting us in eternity. So we remember who we are. The second thing that Peter said is that we live with the future in mind. And Peter tells us about two future events that are going to take place. The first is the second coming of Christ when Jesus will be revealed to the world. And then the second one is the judgment of God when the Bible says that all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And in light of these two coming events, Peter tells us there are some things that we need to do in regard to how we live our life. The third thing that Peter told us is that we need to get connected to a spiritual family. Peter tells us that Jesus is the cornerstone of this church that he is building. But in this church, he tells us that each and every one of us are living stones. And we are interconnected with one another. And because we're interconnected with one another, we need each other. You cannot survive as a follower of Jesus in this world in a way that's pleasing to God apart from connecting to a spiritual family. The fourth thing we learned is that if we're going to survive, we've got to learn the discipline of submission. Peter told us to submit to every human authority for the Lord's sake. There is God-appointed human authority in life. And when we learn how to submit to this authority, God tells us that this makes us more like Jesus. And then last week, we learned that if we're going to survive, we've got to expect suffering. Suffering is a part of life. It's natural to everyone who lives here on planet Earth because we live in a fallen world. But that's not what Peter talks about. He's talking here about suffering specifically because we do follow Christ. Because we're believers, we will face suffering. And Peter tells us that this suffering will make us more like Jesus because it is helping to put to death sin in our life. And this suffering will give us opportunities to share the hope that we have in Christ. But today, as we continue this series, we're going to look at something a little bit different. It almost seems like Peter gets off subject. Because I believe the next thing Peter tells us that we need to do is, if we're going to survive in a hostile world, is this. We need to raise up biblical leaders. You see, hostile worlds require that we have strong spiritual leadership. Knowing that these believers were about to face intense persecution. And knowing that it was going to be difficult for them to survive, much less thrive in this kind of environment, 
Peter says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to have leaders who are strong and godly who are leading the church of Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to start reading in verse 1. Notice what Peter says. He says, and now in a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honor give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you now in this section Paul or Peter addresses himself as an elder and he is writing to his fellow elders the elders who are leading these churches and so that leads us to a question what is a an elder what is a biblical elder When I was growing up, I was told to respect my elders. And an elder was someone who was older than I was. I mean, when I would look out at people, if they had gray hair, they were obviously my elder. If they had kids, they were my elders. And my dad told me, you respect your elders. But that's not what this is talking about here. You see, in the Bible, an elder means something different. Biblical elders. Elders, I want you to see this, are God-called men entrusted by him with the leadership of his church. Elders are God-called men who are entrusted by God with the leadership of his church. Now, the truth is there's a lot of confusion today when it comes to who an elder is because we have a lot of terms. Some churches have elders and other churches have pastors and some churches even have bishops. And there are some churches that have all three of these. They have elders, they have pastors, they're bishops. There are some churches that have a combination of these. They have elders and pastors or they have elders and bishops or bishops and pastors. And so what is a pastor? What is an elder? What is a a bishop? Well, what you need to understand is that the Bible uses three words to give the description of one office. The Bible uses three words interchangeably to describe the functions of one person. Elder, the Greek word is presbyteros. An elder refers to the spiritual maturity of a pastor. Now, maturity is not based on age, but rather spiritual growth. Remember what Paul told Timothy. Paul told Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Timothy was called to be an elder in the church at Ephesus, and yet he was a very young man. And Paul said, don't let them despise you. Don't let them look down at you just because you were young. So an elder refers to spiritual maturity. 
The next word is shepherd or pastor. The Greek word is poimen. And just as an elder refers to spiritual maturity, a shepherd refers to the spiritual care of the church. A pastor is to be a spiritually mature man who provides spiritual care for the church. We're told that Jesus is the great shepherd. But under the great shepherd, God appoints shepherds who are to lead his church. And then finally, there are overseers, bishops. The Greek word is episkopos, the word we get our word episcopal from. It refers to the spiritual leadership of a pastor. Pastors are to be spiritually mature men who provide spiritual care and spiritual leadership for the church. Now, in this passage, all three of those words are found. You see, a church, a biblical church, isn't led by a board. It's not led by committees. A biblical church is led by the authority of Jesus Christ under the direction of local elders, local pastors, local overseers. Now, let's unpack this for a few minutes. First of all, pastors are to be spiritually mature. Now, the Apostle Paul says a good bit about the spiritual qualifications, the requirements of spiritual leadership. When he was writing to Timothy, this is what Paul said. He said, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and, and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Now, Paul also gave an admonition to Titus about what an elder was to be. In the book of Titus, Paul said this. He said, an elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. For an elder must live a blameless life. He must, be, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just, and he must live a devout and disciplined life. Now, the first thing that, that Paul tells us is that an elder needs to be a man. Now, there is disagreement in the body of Christ on this. There are some churches that say, no, that's not the case. But in my humble opinion, the Bible is very clear on this. You say, well, why does an elder need to be a man? Well, you can ask God that. But God in his system of authority have said that I have set apart men to lead my church. And then the Apostle Paul gives us some things about an elder's family, his finances, an elder's habits, his disposition, an elder's reputation inside and outside the church. Now listen carefully. I am convinced that anyone who is wondering whether God is calling them to be an elder will read passages like these and feel inadequate. 
I, I mean, if you're struggling with whether God has called you and you read these passages and you don't feel inadequate, you feel pride and you feel like, man, this is me, I've arrived, then there's probably some problems in your life. At different stages of my life, I have felt like a failure in almost each of these areas. I've questioned before whether I am good enough to be an elder, a pastor. And understand, if God is calling you, our enemy, Satan, is going to do everything he can to discourage you. But I want to share with you what maturity is. You see, maturity is not being perfect, but rather being perfected. When we are mature, it means that we are growing. It means that we are surrendered. It means that we are moving in the right direction. There is a difference between a person messing up in an area and a person being out of control in an area. Now, the Bible makes it clear that an elder cannot be a new believer. And they cannot be a new believer because of the pressures and the temptations of this world. And, and if they're a new believer, those are going to become too great on them. And, and we see that over and over in our society today as pastors are falling to immorality. And oftentimes it's because they were never spiritually mature when they took that position of pastor. And, and even though the Bible says that a pastor must be able to teach... Just because a person can teach doesn't mean they're spiritually mature. The Bible says that a pastor has to be wise. That means that a pastor has the ability to see things and then do things from God's perspective. Now, wisdom doesn't come with age, though age helps us gain wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. I was pastor in my first church when I was 22 years old. I mean, I was a kid. I wasn't old enough to drive the church van. Seriously. Our, our policy had that you had, you had to be 25 years old to drive the van. Here I was pastoring this church, and I couldn't even drive the van. The first Mother's Day I was there, we had a church where every year, if you grew up in a little small church, you remember this, every year we recognized the youngest mother. Never knew why you did that. The oldest mother... And then the mother with the most children present. We, we did all of that. And so we were going through all of this. And we got through doing the oldest mother. And we knew who the oldest mother was. And we were about to honor her with something. I don't know, some flowers or something. Someone else in the church shouted out, out loud. They just didn't say it in their mind. They said it out loud. She ain't no mother. I'm 22 years old. She ain't no mother. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Well, if you've got wisdom, you think these things through in advance. And I had thought this thing through. And so when that was said, I just said, time out. We took a time out in church. And I said, let's talk about what a biblical mother is you see this woman had she had had several miscarriages she had not had any children that she raised naturally she had not adopted any children 
But she raised a niece and a nephew from the time that they were tiny toddlers. She was their mother. And we went through, what does it mean to be a biblical mother? And then we talked about how we treat other people as followers of Jesus. 22 years old. I had to do it. That was what I was called to do. Went to pastor my next church, and it was a little bit of a troubled church. The pastor before me had a nervous breakdown. Two pastors before him killed himself. That kind of church. But God began to bless. We saw a lot of people saved, lives changed, people being delivered. And we saw people, I mean, from all parts of town, all sides of the track. We had white people and black people and everything in between that got saved and started coming to our church. And this was in, this was in the 80s. And we were in a mill village area. I was in a deacons meeting with one of, with all of our deacons and had a lot of older gentlemen there. And one of our older deacons who had been a deacon for well over 50 years, said, Pastor, why don't they go to their own church? Why do they want to come to our church? I'm 26 years old. How are you supposed to handle something like that? Well, I'll tell you what I did. I said, well, first of all, this isn't our church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's the Lord's church. Because it's the Lord's church, he gets to establish who's a part of this church. Not you, not me, not anybody. And, and the Bible says that if you are born again, you're a part of his family and you can be a part of this church. And you need to understand that as long as I'm your pastor, we're going to take anybody and everybody, whatever they look like, to be a part of our church. And if you don't like that, there's the door. You can find another church right now. We ended up having to vote several of those men out of leadership in our church. I was 26 years old. Wasn't fun. But you see, if you're called, you have to be mature enough to handle the difficult seasons that will come in church. So a pastor is spiritually mature. Second. A pastor provides spiritual care. Peter says, care for, shepherd the flock God has entrusted to you. The apostle Paul said to the leaders in Ephesus in Acts 20, he said, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. Now let's stop for just a minute. Who appoints overseers, elders, leaders, pastors? Does a church appoint? No. The Holy Spirit appoints. I want you to hear my heart. Whenever I do get to the point that I am no longer your pastor, I pray to God that you don't find a man and call him. I pray to God that you will find the man that the Holy Spirit has called to be your pastor. And you will walk in agreement with the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that appoints leaders in the church. Feed my flock. Feed my sheep. 
take care of my sheep. Peter knew that phrase full well. Remember Peter, one who wrote this book? Remember Peter? He, he was the one that the night before Jesus was crucified, when Jesus said, all of you are going to turn your back on me, and Peter said, everybody else will, but I won't. Jesus said, before the rooster crows three times, or rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. No, I'll never do. Peter did. Peter was so depressed, so despondent, that he, he went back to fishing. And then after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus had this talk with Peter. In John 21, do you remember that? Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Remember what Jesus said? Then feed my Sheep, care for the flock, take care of them. You say, what does it mean to care for a spiritual flock? Well, an elder, a pastor is to do everything that a shepherd would do for, for sheep. A shepherd protects. That's why they carry a rod and a staff to fight off the wolves and the animals that want to devour the sheep. A shepherd is to protect from false teachings, from from. Uh, dishonest, unscrupulous people who will come in and try to lead the people of God astray. A shepherd is to feed the flock. Feed them what? The Word of God. Uh, a shepherd is, is, is to care for, to, to make sure that the needs are met so that no one falls through the cracks. A shepherd is responsible for making sure that the care is provided for the sheep. And then finally, a pastor is to provide spiritual leadership for the flock. John MacArthur said this about that word overseer. He said the bishops, the overseers, were those who were appointed by the emperors to govern captured or newly founded city-states. The bishop was responsible to the emperor, but oversight was delegated to him. In other words, this word that Peter used here, that Paul used, for a leader in the church was a word that the Roman government was using. When the Roman uh, army would take over another area, the emperor of Rome would then appoint bishops who would come in and they would lead that newly taken over area under the authority of the emperor. And you see, that's what pastors are called to do. Jesus is the leader of the church. But Jesus then appoints pastors, elders, shepherds, overseers who are called to give direction to the church. Now, how do you lead? We are to lead like Jesus. The Bible says that we lead by example. Jesus was the strongest leader that ever lived. And yet, Jesus didn't lead for himself. He didn't lead for his own benefit. He always led for the benefit of others. Jesus was willing to make the tough calls. He was willing to make the unpopular calls. Jesus was willing to lead in the direction that no one wanted to go. But it was never for his sake. It was for everybody else's sake. And that's how biblical leaders are to lead. Not for our benefit, not what we can get out of it, but for the benefit of the church. Now Peter gives three contrasts here that we got to hit uh, pretty quickly. Peter says that a leader is to lead willingly, not grudgingly. The word grudgingly there literally means forced to do something. You don't lead because you have to. You lead because you want to. I heard this story about this husband and wife that you know, got up on a Sunday morning. And the wife said to her husband, you need to get up and get ready. It's about time to go to church. She said, I'm not going this morning. 
She said, honey, get up. You know we're going to church this morning. He said, I'm not going. And she said, why aren't you going? He said, well, two reasons. First of all, I don't like those people. Second of all, they don't like me. And his wife said, honey, get out of bed. You got to go. He said, give me two reasons. She said, well, first of all, you know, biblically, God expects us to be in church. And then second of all, you're the pastor. Get out of bed. (laughs) There are some pastors like that. They say, I don't want to be a pastor, but God called me. Let me tell you, if God called you, there's nothing else in the world you'd rather do. When my dad was giving me counsel on on pastoring, he said, son, if you can do anything else in the world, do it. He wasn't saying if you can make money any other way. He wasn't saying if you have any other skills, use those skills. He wasn't saying that. He was saying if there's anything else that will light your fire apart from leading God's people, preaching God's word, then that's what you need to do. You lead willingly, not grudgingly. And then Peter says that we lead not for what we will get out of it, but because we are eager to serve God. The word uh, that is translated what you'll get out of it is a word that literally means financial gain, dishonest gain. You see, a pastor doesn't pastor because of the money. A pastor pastors because of the master. My dad told me when, when I was called into ministry, he said there are three things that will destroy your ministry. First is your message. you got to stay true to the Word. You don't need to tell people what's out in the world. You need to tell them what's in the Word. Second, he said, your morals. You need to put a hedge of protection around yourself. Because of that, there are things that I've just never done. I've never gone on, on um, uh, lunch meetings with someone of the opposite sex by myself. I've never gone on trips with someone on, of the opposite sex by myself. I've put hedges of protection around myself. I've held myself accountable to moral things in my life. And then the third area, my dad said, is money. The desire for money will destroy your ministry. And so I decided from the very beginning, when God called me, I'll never ask a church what they're going to pay me until I know that God's called me there. Because if they're going to just pay me a little bit, I may say, really, you want me to live on that? I may say that, but it's going to already be written. I'm going to be your pastor regardless of what you pay me. And then second, if they're offering me the moon, I don't want that to entice me to be their pastor. I don't want anything to entice me to pastor a church but the call of God. And can I tell you that God has always blessed that? I believe with all my heart, I want you to hear me. My wife and I are blessed. And you as a church family take care of your pastors. And the Bible says that you're supposed to. The Bible makes it clear that you as a church family are to honor financially your pastors and you do hear me but I believe the reason that we are blessed today is because it's never been about money and whenever God has blessed us with resources we've always held it out like this saying this isn't ours this is yours and we want to use it for your glory and God has always hear me 
always not only met our needs when I was making nothing to today when my wife and I have more than we ever thought we could ever possibly have. But you don't do it because of money. You do it because of the master. And then he said, don't lord over people, but lead by example. In other words, you're called to lead, and there's this fine line. You're called to lead, but you don't do it with arrogance. You do it with humility. That doesn't mean that you negotiate. That doesn't mean that you compromise. You do what God's called you to do, but you always do it with a humble spirit. This is what we're going to do. I'm sorry if you disagree, but I believe with all my heart, this is what God wants, and And I'm going to answer to him one day. And and that takes me to the final thing here. You see, the Bible says that there is a reward if there is a job well done. In verse 4, it says that when the great shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Think about that. Peter says, for those pastors who are faithful, who carry out the assignment that God has given them, if they're faithful, there is going to be a crown of glory that is given to them. I want you to hear me. I've been at this for 38 years. And I've never once been worried or concerned about a, past, a church firing me, letting me go, or anything like that. And that's not arrogant. That's not cocky. That's not anything like that. That just means I, I don't, listen, I don't answer to you. I answer to God. And that's a whole lot more frightening than worrying about what you can do. He's the one that I'm going to have to give an account to. And I want to make sure that when the chief shepherd appears, he's going to say, you did a good job. Well done. Now, why did Peter put this in this letter here? Well, Because if we're going to make it in difficult times, we need strong biblical leadership leading us. Because when there is a lack of leadership, hear me, there will be chaos. And when there is a lack of leadership, always. Listen, when there is a leadership void, someone will step up and lead. And oftentimes, it's not the person that God desires to step up and lead. And so what that means is we as a church family need to be raising up biblical leaders. I believe with all my heart, there are some of you in this room that God has called to be pastors. I believe that. And you've said no. You don't want to. It may be out of fear. It may be out of a lack of faith. It may be because... You just don't want to sacrifice. I, I, I don't know, but, but there's been a call upon your life. And you know deep down inside right now, you, you know it as I'm saying this. Yeah, he's called me. And you haven't responded. But I'm convinced that if we're going to do what God's called us as a church to do, you're going to have to answer the call. Remember when we were going through beyond, God gave us a vision 
a vision of planting five churches over the next 10 years around the Midlands, a, a vision of planting three churches in the northeast of the United States, a vision of sending missionaries to reach unreached people groups across the world. I don't believe God wants us to have to go across the United States to find those pastors. I believe God wants to raise them up out of our church. And so the question is, is he calling you? If he is, if you think he is, if you think he might be, then will you let us know? Will you take that connect card and will you say, I think he may be calling me, and put that in the box? Would you, would you email us? Would you text us? Would you let us know? Because if we're going to plant five campuses across the Midlands, the way we're going to do it is by raising up leaders in this church who will then go and pastor campuses in other places around the Midlands. God can do that. God will do that. But we've got to answer the call. So will you? Now some of you may say, well, I know he's not calling me, so I would ask you, are you willing to say, God, are you calling my child? Are you calling my grandchild? Are you willing to let them go to follow God? Two weeks ago, my son John, his wife Christian, our four grandkids got in their minivan and started heading to Houston, Texas, 14 hours away. I didn't like it. But I loved it. I didn't like it because it's, it's going to stink having to get on a plane to see those four grandkids instead of getting in my car and driving 10 minutes. It's going to stink. It's going to stink not being able to sit face to face and give counsel and direction to my son who's called to ministry. But I got to tell you, I'm so thankful that he answered a call to follow what God called him to do. Because it is in the answering of God's call that you will find peace. And you will find strength to make it through the difficult times of life. So answer the call. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. I know we've gone over a little bit, but this is important. I pray today that there will be at least five people who say, I believe God's calling me. I don't know what to, but I believe he's calling me. Can you help me? So if you're one of those, let us know. Father God, touch hearts. Just like you did in days of old with Timothy and Titus and so many others where your Holy Spirit set them apart for your service. I believe you're doing the same thing today. And Father, I pray that people will hear your voice and not quench the Spirit. Will answer your call, step it out in faith, trust in you. So that you can use them to help us change the world for your glory. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.